The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church and Pastor Greg Davis in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about Cashin FBC, please visit CashinFBC.org. Here in a moment, we're going to welcome Dr. Todd Fisher, who serves as Executive Director for Oklahoma Baptist. He has been a longtime pastor. His last pastorate was about 19 years in Shawnee, that's correct. Uh, I want to tell you something about his education. So impressive. He graduated from OBU, 1992, pastoral ministry, then went on to Southwestern with an MDiv, and then went to Midwestern to get the DMIN, and then a THM and a PhD. Now, Dr. Fisher, I have to tell you a funny story. Uh, I went to get a degree from OBU, then went to Southwestern and pursued a degree there as well, the MDiv there. And my journey took me nine years. And then I told Gretchen, I said, now I want to go get a PhD. And if you know anything about my wife's sense of humor, she said, how are you going to do that? And I said, what do you mean? How am I going to do that? She said, well, you're going to be supporting two households. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're going to need your own apartment. You're going to be paying child support and you're going to be supporting me. I don't know how you're going to pull that off. And so I wasn't able to get the PhD. So, uh, but Dr. Fisher has done an amazing job leading Oklahoma Baptist, traveling all over the state, uh, week in and week out, uh, investing in the churches. And one of the things that he said, and I love this, is the churches really, uh, you, you work for the churches. And we had that kind of reversed in our thinking and and Dr. Fisher, Dr. Fisher made that clear that, that you're working under us. And so there's a video we're going to show to help you to understand a little bit about the giving that we do in this church. And it's, it may be a revelation for some of you to say, I never knew that happened. It's called the Cooperative Program. And then we'll welcome Dr. Fisher. When you give your tithes to your church on Sunday, your giving is an act of worship and obedience to the Lord. But when you give... Did you also know that you are giving to advance the gospel around the globe, across the nation, in our state, and in your neighborhood? It's true when your church gives through the cooperative program. Here's how it works. To make this easy to follow, let's say you give $10 to your church on a Sunday morning, and your church has decided to send 10% of that money through the cooperative program. $9 of the money you give will remain at your church to be used in support of your church's gospel ministry, staff, facilities, and many other ministries in your community. And one dollar of your gift is sent on an amazing journey through the cooperative program, fueling a broad range of important ministries everywhere. The first 42 cents of that dollar stay right here with Oklahoma Baptists, funding our shared ministries. If you have been to Falls Creek or Cross Timbers, participated in BCM on campus, or witnessed the Oklahoma Baptist Disaster Relief Team and other ministries, then you've seen the cooperative program in action. The next 15 cents of your dollar continues on to Oklahoma Baptist University, Water's Edge, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Baptist Village Communities, serving our orphans, widows, and equipping future Christian leaders. The next 43 cents of your dollar is allocated through the Southern Baptist Convention, which uses two cents to support the ministries of the convention and forwards the rest on. Nine cents goes to our six Southern Baptist seminaries to train up our future pastors and missionaries. 10 cents goes to the North American Mission Board to help plant churches, coordinate sin relief, and bring the gospel to our nation through evangelism. And 22 cents goes to the International Mission Board to send and support more than 3,500 missionaries around the globe. 
But we're talking about more than just one dollar. When your giving is combined with the gifts given through nearly 1,800 Oklahoma churches and 50,000 SBC churches across the nation, the impact of the cooperative program is multiplied because we work and give together. Giving through the cooperative program is the one thing we can all do that impacts everything we do as Oklahoma Baptists. Thank you for your faithful giving. All right, what an honor it is for me to be here uh, today. I want to thank Pastor Greg for the invite um, to come and preach and share with all of you. Uh, I'm really grateful. I get the privilege of traveling around all over the state. And, uh, you know, most of our churches are kind of more small country churches. Um, it's interesting, we have almost 1,800 Southern Baptist churches in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of people kind of go, wow, that many? Just in our state, we do. And we have 50,000, a little more than that, in, in the United States, the Southern Baptist churches. Uh, you know, right here in Oklahoma, out of the almost 1,800, 1,400 of those 1,800 churches have an average Sunday morning attendance of 100 or fewer. So you are actually a large church in our state. And uh, the thing is, large church, small church, city church, rural church, doesn't matter. The key about what you just saw on the screen is that all of our churches are partnering together to make a difference for the kingdom of God in all the different ways that you just saw. So you may not know that uh, every time you give to your church, your church is involved in what's called the cooperative program. So when you give just an undesignated gift to the church, just to the budget of the church, your church is giving a small percentage of that to the CP, the cooperative program. And you saw, so when you give to your church, you are actually helping to fund things like Falls Creek and Cross Timbers and BCN, Baptist Collegiate Ministry, and Disaster Relief. You're helping to fund Oklahoma Baptist University, our children's home, our retirement center. You're helping to fund the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, six Southern Baptist seminaries. Every time you give even just a dollar to this church, in some way, you are supporting every single thing that I just said and then a whole lot more. Now, listen to me, friends. There is no other denomination or religious body that funds missions and ministries cooperatively like that. And uh, that is really the thing that really makes us distinctive. There's, there's a lot of other folks that believe very similar to us, but only Southern Baptists are supporting the cooperative program, and your church is a part of that. So I just want to come this morning, and, and first off, right out of the, the shoot, I want to share that with you because Pastor Greg asked me to, to share that. And I just want to say a thank you to this church for being a part of that. You know, um, about a year ago, I just kind of started out in this job, and I, I went to this little church in southeast Oklahoma called Sardis Baptist Church. And uh, I looked it up on my phone, and, and on my phone, the map, the church is right in the middle of the lake, Sardis Lake. So I called the pastor and I said, hey, I'm going out on a limb here. I bet your church is in the middle of the lake. Oh, no, your phone won't work. So he told me how to get out there. I had to stop Mass Bigfoot if I was going the right way. And he said, yeah, keep going. And, you know, tiny little church out in the, just in these pine trees, little white frame building, you know. And uh, there was 15 people in church that morning. And when I got through preaching, this, this little lady came up to me afterwards. She said, oh, brother pastor, she says, what does our little church matter? And I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, I'm the treasurer. I signed the checks. And she says, I know the amount we give to the cooperative program is very, very small. And I said, man, the amount you give is not what's important. 
what's important is that we're all working together. And I said, when you add your small amount with the small amount of a whole bunch of other churches, guess what? It adds up to be something really significant. Let me tell you what's behind the cooperative program. Almost 4,000 international missionaries with our International Mission Board in a foreign country right now. About 2,000 right here in North America, missionaries, chaplains, church planners. About 20,000 students are enrolled right now in our six Southern Baptist seminaries. And when we give to the cooperative program, we're supporting all of that. So the cooperative program is the one thing we do that impacts everything we do. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of all your other sister churches in our state. Thank you for being a part of, of the cooperative program. Now, you did not come to church this morning to hear a stump speech on the cooperative program. You were getting bored with that. I was getting bored with that. So uh, I just want to share a message from God's Word. Now, um, I've got to say to your pastor, uh, thanks a lot, dude. Uh, when he calls me and asks me to preach, he says, uh, hey, I'm doing this series on the church. And what I want you to do is I want you to come share about the cooperative program with my people for a minute. And then I want you to preach on tithing. And, you know, I didn't say this to him, but I'm just going to say it in front of him. I wanted to say, coward, you know, make me preach the sermon you don't want to have to preach. I, I preached in Enid several months ago, and this guy's preaching through the book of Hebrews, and he says, hey, will you just keep my series going? I said, oh, man, I'd love to. Tell me what the text is. And he gives me the text, and I look it up. It's like the most in-your-face passage on hell in the whole New Testament, okay? And I'm like, you want me to preach that? I, okay, I'll do it. So I, I, I want to share with you just about um, what the Bible would say to us, uh, not just about tithing and giving, but just this whole idea of, of eternity and what is, what is eternal and what is temporal, and what our mindset as healthy Christian followers of Christ, what our mindset should be about how we are focused and invested in the eternal as opposed to the temporal. So um, let me tell you, one of my favorite old preachers is a guy named George W. Truett. George W. Truett was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas before um, W.A. Criswell was there. And uh, a lot of Truett's sermons are, are printed. And there was a story that Truett liked to tell about this time he went to visit a rancher out in West Texas. And he had some connection to the church, I can't remember. But he, but he goes out, they have dinner at the home, and then the, and then the rancher drives uh, uh, Pastor Truett out to this real scenic uh, location on, on his property where he can kind of look at it all. And they pull out, they pull up, they get out. And, uh, and the rancher is very proud. And the rancher says, now, pastor, I, I want you to just look around. Everything you can see, as far as you can see, 360 degrees, everything you see belongs to me. It's mine. And he said, you look this direction. You see all those oil derricks out there? That's mine. And you look this direction, you see all the herds of cattle? That's mine. You look this direction, you see all the fields of wheat? That's mine. You look this direction over here, you see that beautiful forest over there? That's mine. And he thought that Truett was going to really congratulate him. Like, wow, man, you've accomplished a lot. That's great. Truett just put his hand on his shoulder and pointed in this direction towards heaven and said, yes, and how much do you own up here? Now, that's a, a thought for us. Many of us spend a lot of time and energy thinking about what we own and possess and control temporally, materially. But how much investment and time and thought and energy do we put into what is eternal? 
So let's think about that. And I want us to, to, to study a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. So if you take your Bible and turn to that with me, Luke chapter 12, uh, I want us to read verses 13 to 21 this morning. And uh, this is a parable that might be familiar to some of you, but a parable that Jesus told to really teach us what our mindset should be about material possessions and uh, our perspective on those and how we should live really and invest for what is eternal and not just what is material. So Luke chapter 12, uh, let's begin to read with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you, you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, let me take just a moment kind of teach you a little bit about parables. The vast majority of the parables that Jesus told were what we would call comparison or comparative parables. And what he's doing is he is taking an object from daily life and saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's similar to this. So following God, the kingdom of heaven, it is similar to a shepherd looking for that one lost sheep. It's similar to a widow sweeping the house and looking for that one lost coin. It's, it's, it's similar to a guy who's just plowing a field and boom, stumbles across a, a, a hidden treasure. So usually parables are, 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 are comparative. But Jesus tells a handful of parables that are contrastive. And what, he mean, what, what I mean by that is when Jesus tells a parable, what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is not like this thing here. And so you, you remember a few of those. Uh, you, you, you remember the, um, the parable about the unrighteous judge, right? You have the widow. She needs some kind of justice. She needs the judge to make some kind of decision so that it will help her. And what does she do? She just keeps coming at him, coming at him, coming at him. She's banging on his door. And finally, and remember in the text, he says, this woman's given me a black eye. She bothers me, right? Finally, he relents to her. In that story, God is not like the judge, you are not like the widow. You do not have to come and beg and plead and cajole God. Hey, God, please listen to my prayer. No, God wants to hear you anytime you want to talk to him. There was another parable that Jesus told about a guy who had a visitor in the middle of the night. And in that custom, you had to feed your visitor. And he didn't have any food. So he goes next door and he bangs on the neighbor's door. Hey, neighbor, give me some food for my visitor. And the guy says, man, I've already put my family to bed. Leave me alone. And he keeps banging and he keeps knocking and he keeps knocking. Same thing. You are not like the neighbor in need of bread and you have to beg God for it. No, God's happy to give it to you. God is not like that stingy neighbor right there who wants you to go away. This parable is kind of in between. It, I would probably classify it a contrastive parable 
because we are told in this parable to not be like this farmer. So what is this farmer doing? This farmer, all he can think about is his material possessions, right? And he says, oh, wow, this is the thing that's going to make my soul happy. I can eat, drink, relax, be merry. I've got all my barns full. I have all of these possessions. And he's given zero thought to what is eternal or to his own soul, spiritually, eternally speaking. So we are told not to be like this guy. So in light of that, we're told not to be like this guy. I, I want to just teach this parable to you in a kind of a contrastive way then. All right, so you have heard this phrase, hey, I'm going to give you a foolproof system, right? What is a foolproof system? A foolproof system is, all right, if you do these few things right here, man, foolproof, it'll improve your golf swing, or you will lose weight, or you will be rich overnight, that kind of thing. But instead of a foolproof system, let's teach it contrastively as Jesus gives it. And I want to give you a full proven system. If you want to be a fool, and I hope none of you do, if you want to be a fool, then do these four things, okay? So here they come. Let's just take this parable, some of the things we pull from this farmer. I'm going to give you four things if you want to be a fool. If you like to write stuff down, you can write these down. Here's the first one. Completely forget that God is the one who gives you what you have. If you want to be a fool, just, just think what this guy's thinking. What is this guy thinking right here? This guy says, hey, because of all of my hard work, I have all of this stuff. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus was such a masterful storyteller. Notice that Jesus in the parable does not say, a certain man worked very hard and he accumulated a great fortune. What does Jesus say? Jesus said a certain man had ground that produced a great crop. Now, hard work is a good thing. In fact, the Bible encourages hard work. But I'm going to tell you what, you can be a farmer and you can work hard in the middle of a drought and still get nothing. It's God who sends the rain. It's God who gives the increase and the blessing. So we got to remember that. If I have anything materially, it's because God has given it to me in the first place, right? So, Pastor Greg, you've got a really nice-looking watch on. I've noticed it. It's bright-colored and red. And so, would, you, would you give that to me, please? Sure. Yeah, just, yeah, just put it in my hand right here, please. Okay, thank you. <laughs> this looks like a really nice watch. looks like an Apple watch. It's got a really bright red band. looks good. It's a little sweaty. Um, <clears throat> looks great. Uh, uh, hey, Greg, you know what? I'll sell you this watch. I'll make you a really good deal, and I sell it to you for like two, three hundred bucks. Now, Greg's looking at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> In fact, what am I doing? Do, do I take a man's watch from him? This is Greg's watch. This belongs to him. How do I take something that belongs to a man and then offer to sell it to him? Why do I sell it? Why can I not sell that watch to Greg? I'll tell you why. Because he already owns it. It's his. So you've got to start to think, everything I have, yes, I should work hard. Yes, I should be wise. Yes, I, I, I should plan. I should do all of these things. But I'm going to tell you, you're a fool. If you think at the end of the day, the reason you have what you have is simply merely because of you. 
You have what you have at the end of the day because it is given to you by God. You are blessed by him. And can I just add one more while I'm on a little bit of a halfway quasi roll here? Can I just remind everybody in this room that of all the things that God has blessed you with and given you, if you're a follower of Christ, the material things you have are a drop in the bucket to the spiritual things that God has given to you. That's the greatest thing anyway. And by the way, when you begin to realize, wow, what I have from God spiritually far outshines anything I have materially, even if I have a lot, you're going to begin to have a good framework about the material. You know, let, 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 I know I'm the guy between y'all and lunch. That's an unenviable place to be. Well, can I just take one second and just break that down for you a little bit? You know, in 2 Samuel 9, it's this wonderful story about David and a guy named Mephibosheth. Y'all ever heard of the name Mephibosheth before? I wanted to name our son that, and my wife just looked at me and said, stop it. <laughs> um, I, 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 I will save you all these details, but Mephibosheth is, is the Bible says he is, he is lame. The Bible uses that word. He's he cannot walk. He's lame in both of his feet. Both of his ankles or feet are broken because his, his, his nurse in the, the, the haste to get Mephibosheth, 1 Samuel tells us, in the haste to get him out of the house because Saul and, 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 and uh, Jonathan are, have been killed by the Philistines. She's trying to get him out so that he's not killed. This boy is not, he's blood related to them, so he's not killed by whoever's going to become king next. And so anyway, we find in 2 Samuel 9, David realizes, you know, I made this promise to my friend Jonathan that if anything ever happened to one of us, we would take care of the other one's family. Jonathan is dead. David is thriving. David calls his servant Ziba and he says, hey, Ziba, is there anybody still related to the house of Jonathan? that I can show kindness to. I need to make good on my promise. And Ziba goes, yeah, there's this guy named Mephibosheth, but he's lame in both of his feet. You don't want him. He's not good in your government. He's not good in your military. And he says, go find him, bring him here. And he's living way out here in a place called Lodibar, which in Hebrew means a barren place. And they go and they get him. And by the way, that's a death. Mephibosheth knows he's going to be killed. He, why is he out here hiding? Because the new king, the new dynasty, the new bloodline, if they find out an old bloodline relative still alive, they're going to kill him. So, man, they come, they bring him, Vibosheth back, and Vibosheth falls on his face in front of David. Oh, David, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on a dead dog such as me. And you see one of these most amazing, beautiful pictures of the gospel right here in the Old Testament. David picks this man up and calls him by name and says, Do not be afraid. And he restores everything to Mephibosheth that belonged to his daddy, Jonathan. All of his land, all, all it, he gives it all back to him. And then he tells Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table every day. By the way, just, just imagine with me for a second, David's table, okay? Uh, in walks Absalom, right? Dark, thick, curly, wavy hair. Right, he's got the 0.0002% body fat warrior guy. Looks like the guy from I can't believe it's not butter commercials, you know. And he sits down. The warrior here comes Solomon wearing a robe and stroking his beard because that's what all wise people do. And he sits down. Here comes Tamar, elegant, beautiful. His daughter. She comes and she sits down. And you see all this is like the who's who of Israel. And then all of a sudden you hear clickety clack, clickety clack, clickety clack. 
and it's Mephibosheth on his crutches. David's table is like the Sesame Street song. One of these is not like the others. And you see all that as a picture of you? You were out in your own Lodi bar, lost and dead as you could be spiritually in your sin. And by the way, for most of us, we weren't even looking for God. He came and got us, didn't he? Out there in our own Lodi bar. Brings us back and he restores to us all this stuff. But you see in the story? Boy, he got all these material possessions. He got all this, this wealth back and all this lands. That's great. But what did he get above any and all of that? He got to be with the king at the table. When Jesus is on the cross, both of the, both of the thieves are hurling insults at him, right? But about halfway through, one of, the, one of the thieves comes to faith. And he has all the elements there, right? First of all, he says, Jesus, we deserve to hang here. We're sinners. You're not. You don't deserve to hang here. And Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. You see it. You see repentance. You see faith. You see acknowledgement of Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to that thief? What did he say? He says, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Boy, when I get to heaven one day, I'm asking Luke about that one. (laughs) There's a perfectly good word for heaven in Greek, and he didn't use it. In fact, it's not even a Greek word, paradise. It's not even a Hebrew word. It's not even an Aramaic word. It's a Persian loan word. Now, hold on to your socks. Do you know what the word paradise in Persian means? It means the garden. Jesus looks at this dude and says, today you're going to be with me in the garden. Why in the world would he say that? I'll tell you why I think he says that. I think he says, today... You know, I'm going to die for your sin. You're going to die. But because of your faith in me, guess what? We're going to go all the way back to the beginning when God created the universe and created the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. And Adam and Eve, before the fall, were walking and talking with God and had a perfect relationship with him. We're all going to go back to that. And my friend, the greatest possession you can have is not money, lands, possession. The greatest relationship The greatest thing you can have is the relationship you have with God through Jesus Christ. And if you will just wake yourself up every day and remember that, boy, it'll put you in a frame of mind to look at your material possessions in a whole different way. So here's the second thing to write down if you want to be a fool. is this. Let your concern for material things eclipse your concern for spiritual things. So in other words, just be thinking about material things, put all your energy, time, everything into just that, and just kind of maybe throw a little pittance at the spiritual things, okay? Now, I'm a preacher, so I'm going to alliterate a little statement for you. Ready? Here it comes. I, I think I, I made this up. If I stole it from somebody, then I, I would love to give credit, but here it comes. Passion for possessions without principle is perilous. Passion for possessions without principle is perilous. Now, look at this guy. Go back to chapter 12, verse 1. We didn't read this part. But verse 1 is the context in which Jesus is teaching this parable. Now, you look at verse 1 of Luke 12. In the meantime, so many thousands of the people had gathered together. They were trampling one another. It is in the context of thousands of people trampling one another. And by the way, you see in verse 13, someone in the crowd... So picture this then. 
This guy, all he can think about is he wants the money from his brother, right? Hey, my brother, obviously the older brother, my older brother should give me my inheritance, give me my part of the inheritance. And, it's, and so what does he do? He pushes and fights his way through thousands of people to get to Jesus to ask him this question. Now, some people kind of don't like Jesus' response in verse 14. Right? It kind of makes them feel a little, uh, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? First of all, that doesn't sound very kind by Jesus. And then second of all, there's a little theological deal. Wait, I thought Jesus was our judge. Yes, what, is, what, is, what does Jesus mean when he says this? What is the context here? First of all, what he's saying is, look, man, thousands of people here, and you fight through all of them to ask me about getting your cut of the inheritance. I didn't come here to help you get rich. I came here to save you. That's why he came. And the other thing I think is behind this whole statement of Jesus is, is this. Look, dude, why do you even need to come and ask me about this? This isn't rocket science. Everybody ought to know if you believe in God and you believe that when you close your eyes in death, and by the way, I checked just this morning, the mortality rate for all human beings, 100%. When you close your eyes in death, what's next? You better be thinking about that. You better be prepared for that. And so Jesus tells them a parable about a guy who is not prepared for the end. He's not prepared. So think about this passion then, okay? So... We often call this parable the fool that owned a farm. But if you think about it, we could easily call it a farm that owned a fool. So listen to me. Having possessions in and of itself is not a bad thing. Does the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? What does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. So here's the key, friends. Listen to me. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Do I own my possessions or do my possessions own me? And if I, if I can put into my mind everything we just said about my greatest blessing is spiritual, and everything, you're going to begin to get on the right framework where you are controlling and managing and owning your possessions for the glory of God and the good of the kingdom rather than these things owning you. And this is what our culture does. Our culture likes to take good things that God has given us to enjoy and then it wants us to try to enjoy or use or look at those beyond the confines of how God gives them to us and what God teaches us about them, right? You know, you think about sex. God gave us sex. He created that. We are to enjoy that. But what do we do in our culture today? What we've done with gender and marriage and all of that kind of thing, we have completely uh, uh, just made a mockery of it, right? He's given us, uh, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes. Go and enjoy your life. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is in heaven as this cosmic killjoy who wants you to wear painful clothing and look like you had a lemon for breakfast. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I've been around a lot of churches in this last year and a half, and uh, you know, they ain't singing victory in Jesus in some of these churches. It looks like Jesus lost by a last second field goal by looking at some of their faces. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you got to do it. But, but here's the thing, what does the world do? Although it says, oh, I want to enjoy my life, so I need to fill it with drugs and fill it with alcohol and fill it with illicit relationships and all the other things. No, 
We take the things that God has given to us to enjoy and we enjoy them in the confines of what his word teaches and the lordship of him over our lives. And you know, I see young people in the room right here and I like to say this whenever I'm talking to young people. You know, here's the thing. Your culture and society, our culture and society, it says to you that truth is something you create. Do all your friends think that's true? Well, then it must be true. Does that make you feel good? Well, then it must be true. That is a lie. Truth is not something you create. Truth is something you discover, and you discover it in the Word of God. Every person in this room, and I'm pointing myself, pointing myself first and foremost, every person in this room is a sinner. And as sinners, we really cannot be trusted to know what is right and wrong, good, true, false. We need God who is perfect, who created everything to tell us what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And so we should not come to the Bible and say, all right, hey, Bible, this is kind of our culture again. Hey, I'm going to make the Bible, I, I'm going to come at the Bible through the lens of culture and me first, Right? By the way, if you come at the Bible through the lens of culture, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Oh, I know it looks like the Bible says you're not supposed to commit adultery, but if you think about it today, I mean, this is such an old book. I mean, good grief, it's two, three, four thousand years old. It's so antiquated. Bless, bless, bless the Bible author's hearts. We just need to give it some cultural sensibility. I know it sounds like you're not supposed to commit adultery. I know it sounds like you're not supposed to, 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 to lie. I know it sounds like you're not supposed to steal. I know it says this about that and this and that, but come on. Listen, friends, God did not give us the Bible for us to put our own truth and meaning into it. He gave us the Bible to tell us what is true. So we have to submit to that. And the Bible is telling us here, this is the truth about possessions, about what's temporal and what's eternal. So think about just some pragmatic things about that, okay? And I, I will talk about tithing in just one second. Uh, if you'll hold on with me, I, I, I promise your lunch will be good wherever it is you're going to eat it. You know, there's a, there's, there's a practical aspect of why I should be generous with what God has given me. Okay, think about your church. I pastored for 30 years. I can't tell you the number of people that would say to me, you know, oh, no, pastor, I don't really want to give to the church. Why do I need to give to the church? You know, the older people that have been there a long time have a lot more money than me. You know, they'll give to the church. And, you know, that would be a young adult that would tell me that who's got two kids in the nursery. You know, and I would just kindly look at them and say, um, how's the church going to pay its electric bill? How's the church going to pay for the nurseries and the supplies? Unless the, the members of the church, unless they give. There's a practical aspect to that. You, you look at what we just talked about in this video. Um, don't, don't tweet this because it's not public knowledge yet. We're going to share this with our board next week, but you know, in the, in the last 98 years that Oklahoma Baptist Church has been given to the cooperative program, it started in 1926, 25. Did you know that when you, you add up cumulatively all that Oklahoma Baptist Churches have given in almost 100 years, two weeks ago, we surpassed $1 billion in kingdom giving. Just Oklahoma Baptist Churches? You know what that is? $200 million to the International Mission Board. 
$84 million to the North American Mission Board, $84 million to the seminaries. When God's people all get together and are just faithful to give like they should give, what God does with that for the kingdom is amazing. And by the way, y'all, there's a practical element in this here too, just like with the farmer. What do we see in this? What is his major problem? His major problem is he's built his whole life and framework around this material stuff. And what does Jesus say? Jesus has this powerful line in there. Look at it. He says, whose will they be? When you die, who's going to own all your stuff? I'll tell you who won't be owning it. You. I, I used to say that there's no U-Haul behind a hearse until someone sent me a picture of a U-Haul behind a hearse one time. Now, now I can't say it. <laughs> but maybe you heard that little funny story about the, the guy who was a millionaire, and he said, I'm taking all my money with me. He said, you, you put all that money, you just take all that money, put it, put it in my casket. And it was in his will. I want all my money in my casket. And so they went and like get, get all this cash and go stuff it into his casket and all that. And they made all that plan. And they go to the time of the funeral and they open up the casket. There's no cash in there. And they look at the widow and they said, he said he wanted to be buried with all of his money. And she said, oh, he is. I took all that cash and put it in the bank. And I wrote him a check and put it in his vest pocket. <laughs> Some of y'all get that at lunch. <clears throat> Why would you spend all your time and energy and everything on stuff you ain't going to keep it? So here's the third thing. You write this down. If you want to be a fool, segregate God from other areas of your life. Always follow the pigeonhole philosophy. That's what this guy's done. This guy has segment. He's pigeonholed his life. And so his spiritual life is over here, and he's not giving any attention to that. And his business life is over here, and he's giving all the attention to that. By the way, if we're not careful, we Christians, we tend to do this, Right? I kind of live my life one way at work, and I live it a different way at church. I kind of live my life one way at home, and I live it a different way at school. If Jesus is Lord, and he is, and he's got to be Lord over all of it, right? And here's the problem. If you start pigeonholing things, right, say, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to give any of my money to church. I don't want to do that stuff. I, I, that, this is mine, and I want to keep it over here. If you start pigeonholing like that, I promise you, you'll do what this dude's done. What has he done? He's pigeonholed himself right out of any relationship with God. And if you're not careful, that's what you'll do. So listen, friends. God has got to be Lord over it all. My thoughts, my words, my actions, how I spend my time, how I spend my resources. And time and time again in the scripture, it says, you should give faithfully to your church, to kingdom causes, but to your church. And we talked about, well, there's a practical element. How, how's church going to pay for these, these lights on if, if, if God's people aren't giving? But I just want to say this. I hear this. This is why I kind of laughed with Greg when he said, come preach on tithing and giving. You know, because you've all heard it, right? I've heard, I mean, I've heard it all my life, all my career, right? Uh, just don't, don't talk about money up there because all you preachers are just a bunch of money-grubbing preachers. All the church wants is your money. Hey, by the way, I'll say this because Greg can't because he's your pastor. Uh, you may not ever see me again. I hope you'll have me back. I'd love to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're not coming to church and you're not kind of really getting involved or because of one bad past experience with a pastor or a Christian, quit using that as a crutch because that's exactly what it is.
Not all of God's people and not all of God's churches are money-grubbing things. And by the way, the Bible talks a lot about and by, Do you know why? The whole giving thing and tithing thing has nothing to do with amounts. Why does God tell us to give back to him? Because when I can give back to him, it shows where my heart is and it shows that stuff does not own me. I am in possession of my stuff. And if you can release it and give it away, that shows you. Remember, remember, remember in, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus got the disciples of the temple treasury. The coffers at the temple treasury have this kind of bell thing, thing at the bottom, and then it came up in this thin neck like this, and then it flared out. It looked like trumpets. And they'd come by and they'd pour, and that flared out top. They'd pour all their money in there. And, and these Pharisees and people that were in it for all the wrong reasons just to impress people, they literally would cash out and change out their gift into as many coins as they could get it. And they would hire porters to carry the bags of coins to the temple, and they would pour it in there and make this big old loud sound, you know, all that coins pouring in there. And they're like, yes, look at me, look at all the money I'm giving, right? By the way, when you give to the church, don't give 200 bucks in pennies, okay? Your counters, they don't want you to do that. And they're all watching that, and in the midst of all these people pouring suitcases of coins into the coffers, here comes this little old widow, and she puts a little mite in there. It doesn't even amount to a penny. And when she does that, after all these impressive givers have gone by, Jesus goes, whoa, did you guys see that? And they're like, what? That widow, just see what she gave? And they're like, Jesus, are you, are, you, are, you, are you crazy? She didn't give anything compared to all these. He said, oh, no, no, no. She gave the most of any of them. Why? Because she gave everything she had. These other guys, they gave a huge amount, but they gave a tiny little part of what they have. What does that tell you right there, right? Hey, the treasure that you have and your heart, there's a lot to say there. So here's the last thing. I got to quit so you don't go eat. Fourth thing, you want to be a fool? Do this. Give no thought to what might happen to your life after you die. That's what this guy does right here. So, I'm happy now. I'm satisfied. I've built all these barns. I got all my stuff. I can just sit back and be fat, dumb, and happy, and blah, 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 blah. Here I am, and uh, God says, you're a fool. By the way, God does not call people fool very often in the Bible. Psalm 14, 1, here. You're a fool if you do not give thought to your life when you die. So are you prepared to die? Are you prepared to, to meet your creator? What are we learning in the Bible right here this morning, y'all? How you handle possessions and how you view that says an awful lot of whether you're ready to meet Jesus or not. Right? Now, what's going to make me go to heaven isn't how I've handled this stuff. No. It's whether I've died to myself and repented of my sin and turned to Jesus in faith and received his grace, right? That... But if I've really been saved by his grace, it's going to change my life, who I am, and how I view all this stuff. So friends, don't walk out of here. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I don't know that I am ready, you need to give some serious thought to that. You need to come talk to your pastor or somebody you you know as a follower of Christ. You know, D.L. Moody, October 8th, what was it, 1871, 
October 8, 1871, he's in Chicago and he's preaching. He preaches about eternal life, preaching salvation. And for some reason, he just decided not to give an invitation. He just called Ira Sankey up to lead the song and close. What they did not know is that while he was singing that closing song, the great Chicago fire, Mrs. O'Leary's cow, had begun. And a good number of the people that listened to D.L. Moody that night preach about salvation would actually not survive the night. They would die in that fire. It haunted D.L. Moody for the rest of his life. He said, never again will I preach and not give an invitation. You cannot afford to live another day without thinking about your soul and about wondering, am I being a fool or am I being wise about my approach to Jesus, what is eternal, what is material, and how that affects my everyday life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for these rich and enduring principles that we learn here about our lives, about how we are to relate to you, Father. God, it is easy for us to invert the values of the world with your values, God. It is easy for us to find ourselves in a place where we are actually owned by our possessions or by our lusts rather than being in control of those under your lordship. So, Father, my prayer, first of all, is anyone that's listening this morning who has not repented of their sin, they have not died to their self, they've not died to thinking that they're going to go to heaven one day because they're a good person. Father, will you remind us Christianity is not about balancing deeds. It's not about making sure our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. It is about canceling deeds. It is about Jesus through his death, through his blood on the cross, paying the payment our sin had accrued paying a payment we could not pay. And Father, in perfect Jesus, you through his sacrifice, you satisfied your perfect demands for righteousness in him. And so, Lord, would you remind us this morning, we are not right with you. We are not saved. We are not bound for eternal life based on anything that we have done but it is based on what Christ has done and who he is on our behalf. So first of all, Lord, would you speak to that person today? And Lord, the one who loves you and knows you, would you just speak to us, God? If there's any area of our life that we've pigeonholed, any area of our life that doesn't fall under your lordship, and I pray your spirit would just speak to us right now what that area might be. And Father, may we look at the material, may we look at the temporal around us and understand, Father, that compared to the eternal and the spiritual, the salvation you've given to us, it is not even a candle compared to that. And would you remind us, Lord, that when we die one day, we're not going to own any of that stuff. So, Lord, through our lives, submitted and yielded to you, may we store treasures in heaven for ourselves and not merely be focused on what is on this earth. To that end today, God, speak to us in Jesus' name.
Amen. The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about our church, please visit cashinfbc.org.